the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 19 this morning. We're concluding our Rewind series in Luke chapter 19. Back in 1975, it was Michael Griffiths who wrote a little book called God's Forgetful Pilgrims. And this is what he wrote in that book. It says, Christians collectively seem to have suffered from a strange amnesia. They go to church, but have forgotten what it's all about. And that is why we called this series Rewind. To go back and just remember what all this is about. And we started by talking about heaven. We've talked about the judgment. We're, we've just uh, covered a lot of ground here in this series. If you've missed any of the messages, you can uh, listen to those online on our website, clearpoint.org or clearpoint.tv. And if you do not have internet access, we can get you a copy of the messages. So if you would uh, just let us know after the service or indicate that on your connection card, we'll make sure that we can get you hooked up uh, with that. Okay, we're also on iTunes and you can search for Clearpoint Church and uh, you'll find us there. Um, but what I want you to know today is that there's a lot of confusion, uh, first and foremost, about what worship is. And uh, you and I are worshipers. We were created to worship. Uh, worship is not for us alone. It is ultimately for God. We are us and God. We're, we're mutual beneficiaries of worship. The glory all goes to God. And we never want to forget that worship is for God alone in that he receives all the glory. But in worship, God pours himself out upon us and into us to the point to where he is making us like himself. His his goal is to transform us, to make us more like his son. And so if you were to look at your life or to look at the person next to you, do you see Jesus? You don't have to answer that right now. You don't have to answer that out loud. You don't have to tell the person next to you, hey, you're not very much like Jesus or anything. But but just consider, how much are you like Jesus? Because that is the goal of worship. But I like what Mark Robertson said. He was quoted uh, by some uh, a group that I follow on Twitter and on Facebook. It's called Guest Worship. They quoted him as saying this about biblical worship. He said, biblical worship finds God and will also find our neighbor. Biblical worship finds God and it will also find our neighbor. And what that means is that God's love and God's presence will overflow into our life that it will be evident to others that, that we have a relationship with Him, that something's different. Not only that, but that we will feel the urgency to take the love of Christ to other people. And so this morning, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about, because being like Jesus means that I'm on a mission and you have a note sheet inside your bulletin. You can take notes. And the very first thing you can write down this morning is that being like Jesus means that I'm on a mission to love God and to love others. In fact, that's what he says is the greatest commandment in all the Bible is to love God and to love others. Say that with me together to love God and to love others. Let's say it again to love God and love others. That's why we exist. To love God and to love others. And if there's one thing that Jesus modeled well, it was how to love. It was how to love God and it's how to love others. It was how to love God the Father who was perfect and how to love other people who are imperfect, who are unlovable and unreachable and seem to be without hope and without without mercy, without grace. And so Jesus extended grace and mercy to those who didn't seem to deserve it. And he taught us the reality of complete forgiveness. That's who Jesus was. 
And one thing that Jesus really focused on when he dealt with others is he dealt with uh, giving them hope and healing and a higher purpose, a reason to live, something higher and greater for themselves to live for. And in Luke chapter 19, we see this encounter with Jesus as he puts his love on display. I've shared some of this message before, and I wanted to share some of it again because of how it deals with the one person. When we look at the kingdom of God, it's made up of many people. When we look at churches, it's made up of many people. When we refer to Clearpoint Church, we see many people. You know, when we think of, of um, you know, here's the church and here's the steeple. You open the doors and out jump the people, right? You think of everybody. But we don't get individual. When we think of church, we don't think of each individual person as much as we think of it as a collective body. Well, Jesus Christ loved his body so much. He loved he loved the church so much that he saw the needs and the hurts of individual people's lives inside the church, but also outside the church. And his ministry was outwardly focused to reach people, to bring them into the body of Christ. And so we see that in Luke chapter 19 as he puts his love on display for this man, this man from Jericho named Zacchaeus. As Jesus was making his way to Jericho, this little guy named Zacchaeus knew that he was coming and he knew Jesus would be there soon. And so he started to to get closer to town to where Jesus would be coming because he had heard about this man called Jesus, the Messiah, this great teacher, this prophet. He didn't want to miss the opportunity to to see him. And what you need to know about Zacchaeus, if, if you've ever read this story, you know that he was a tax collector. And not just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. He was the main guy in Jericho and in the surrounding region. And what he did was he collected large amounts of tax from the people. And Zacchaeus knew that he was, that Jesus was coming and he had these things going on in his heart. He knew that he had a lot of power. He knew he was, he was a prominent guy in society. But there was something in his life that was missing. And he had heard a lot about Jesus and he wanted to come and hear what Jesus had to say. And so as he was coming into the strip where everything was about to happen, he encountered this big problem. It was already crowded. And you know how crowds are. Uh, crowds kind of make me tense up. Anybody else like that? You just kind of tense up around crowds. And, and I remember a couple of years ago we were at Disney World and the crowd was huge and we wanted to go and see this show and my kids were little and so we tried to get a good seat and you know how it is with the little the little guys right the crowd's huge and they can't see anything and so you had, you had to put them up on my shoulders and anyway it was a fabulous time as you can imagine not really um and so so the, the crowd kind of put a damper on the excitement of it and so when he got there when when Zacchaeus got there he saw the big crowd and I mean, the air was just let out of his sails because of how big the crowd was and because he was such a small guy. He was the wee little man we used to sing about in Sunday school. And some say that he was less than five feet tall. He was a small guy, but he had a big place in society. But he also had a big hole in his heart and he knew that he needed help. And he knew that it was possible that Jesus could give him something that he had never experienced before. And so he wanted to see this guy, and you know what he did, right? He he says, I, I, I've got them beat. So he came over here and he crawled up in this tree. He climbed up in this tree because he was desperate to see Jesus. Amen. And so in those days, tax collectors were uh, were powerful people. He was 
Powerful, but he idolized money. He idolized that power. And he was a guy that took advantage of people. And as you can imagine, he was a guy that didn't have a lot of friends. He was the kind of guy that not a lot of people wanted to, to hang out with. Zacchaeus was a Jew, but he worked for the Roman government. So he was seen as a traitor. And so you can imagine the loneliness that he felt because of how he lived his life and the choices that he made and how he extorted money from the Jews to give to the Roman government, who the Jews absolutely despised. But the tax collectors, as Zacchaeus was, had the power to collect whatever amount of money that they wanted to collect. So you can imagine, right? So my wife gets her paycheck a couple of days ago, and there are several hundred dollars missing from the amount that she's supposed to make. And you know where it went, right? It went to the tax collector, the IRS. It went for taxes. I mean, you, you pay taxes, and so you don't get as much. But uh, now we can know how much is going to come out of her check. Well, when Zacchaeus came around and he was collecting the taxes, uh, he may take a few dollars or he may take a few hundred dollars. It was all up to him. He could decide how much he wanted to take. And so you can imagine how bitter and angry the people were as Zacchaeus. But he comes into the crowd, he climbs up in the tree, and Jesus is coming into town. And he wanted to see him. Because he knew he had a need. But he also had heard the stories of Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead and, and how he had healed lives. The, he had made the lame to walk and the blind to see as it has been said and as it's been sung. And maybe he heard the story of the outcast that Jesus had ministered to and possibly about the other tax collector, Matthew who was now part of the twelve. He was in the inner circle and maybe he just began to look at his own life and see if it was possible that he, if, it, if he could have a relationship with this man who claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Jesus comes into town and the first thing he did was he went to Zacchaeus. He went to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to pick up in verse 5. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And so the scene would be like, he came down as like he knew Jesus and Jesus knew him. And maybe they shook hands. Maybe they hugged. Maybe there was a, a kiss on each side and not the hand. Right, Lynn? And so, so there was this interaction going on between these two. And you can imagine the religious people. They saw Jesus and what He was doing and they knew about Zacchaeus. That He was a sinner. And why would this man, the Son of God, the, the Messiah, be talking to and interacting with this guy who was such, such a sinner and so lost and such a criminal and how could he do that? Not only did Jesus talk to him, but he said, hey, I'm going to go to your house today and we're going to have dinner there and we're going to spend time with your family and we're just going to hang out. People couldn't believe it. You can imagine the gossip that was taking place. Well, Jesus gave his purpose statement in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. But first it says they grumbled. It says he's gone to be in the house of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have defrauded any anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And this is what Jesus says. 
is His purpose. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' main purpose was to come and be the friend of sinners. Did you know that? People who were lost, people who were different than Him, people who were outcasts of society, people who had hurts and hang-ups and difficulties in life that had no one else to love them and no one else to care for them. Those people were the target of Jesus' ministry. That was His focus. And as we look at this passage of Scripture today, there are three aspects of Jesus' ministry that I want us to focus on because it will help us in our focus for ministry and help us to realize we have a greater purpose than ourselves. Our greater purpose is, is not just about meeting on Sunday. It is about what takes place beyond the walls of a church building every single day of every single week of every single year. And that is to love God and to love other people. And Jesus modeled that for us. And He did so first by His sensitivity. Jesus was a sensitive type of guy. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't like, um, he wasn't feminine, but he was sensitive. He was a man's kind of man. He wasn't a scrawny guy. He was probably pretty muscular. He was a carpenter by trade. So you can imagine Jesus was probably pretty legit, right? I mean, he's probably pretty, pretty built. He probably looked pretty good. Jesus was a man's man. He wasn't, he wasn't a, um, an effeminate type of guy. But he was very sensitive. And Jesus first was sensitive to the Spirit. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leadership in his life. He was sensitive to people. And he was sensitive to people's needs. He was sensitive to the situation that people were in in life. And so, before anything ever happened, Jesus knew the name of Zacchaeus and he knew who Zacchaeus was. So he comes to him and he, and he knows his name. Jesus knows the name of Zacchaeus. And he comes to him to meet a need. Because Jesus was sensitive. And what you'll see about Jesus' ministry, and the same thing happens in our ministry, is that Jesus was sensitive to people who were hurting. Jesus was sensitive to people who were hurting. And right now, everywhere you go, there are people all around you. Possibly someone who is sitting in the chair beside you. Possibly someone at work who works next to you. Someone at school that you know. There are people all around us who are hurting people. Did you know that? You can probably connect with those people because you probably have your own hurts in your own life. But so many times we look at people and we see that they, they have it all. They, they drive the nice car, they have the nice house, and they seem to have the perfect family, and they... They wear the nice clothes and they have the perfect job. It just seems that they they have it all together. But under all the layers of togetherness, there's a backstory. I remember sometimes, you know, my kids would come home and they'll they'll tell me stories and they'll you know, there's a lot of drama that happens at school. Did y'all know that? Did y'all experience that when you were in school? A lot of drama that takes place in school. And so you're gonna, they come home and you're like, you know, you're, you're never going to believe what so-and-so said and how they did this and how they did that, blah, blah, blah. I said, hey, just wait a minute. Why do you think they're that way? And what I want to teach my kids is that there's always, there's always a layer underneath that upper top layer that we don't see. There's, there's a bad relationship. There's, a, there's, there's trouble in the camp in the family. There's difficulty with the parents. There's problem in the marriage. There's something going on at work. There's a financial struggle. Whatever it is, maybe they're sick. Maybe there was bad news. You never know what's going on in a person's life. And there are people all around us who are hurting that on the outside, man, it looks like they're all together. 
but underneath, life has fallen apart. And Jesus leads us to those kind of people. The kind of people who are hurting. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And God gives us an opportunity to go to those people. And if we're sensitive to the Spirit of God and sensitive to people's needs, God will show us a little bit about those underneath layers. And He'll give us an opportunity to minister and to share, ultimately, to share the love of Christ, to share the good news, to share the gospel, to help people see, hey, there's more to life than this. You can overcome. You can persevere. If you endure, if you'll just trust in God. So He leads us to people who are hurting. And then He leads us also to people who are changing. People who are changing. On the outside, Zacchaeus was a very hard man. He was an extortionist. He was a rip-off artist. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and you see that on the inside, Zacchaeus had something else going on. He knew deep down that the way he lived his life and the way he ran his business wasn't right. He was hearing these stories about how Jesus was changing lives and he was seeing that there was a hole in his. And so he comes and Jesus changes his life ultimately. But before he ever met Jesus, something was changing in him. When I look around, and I look around our community, I look around at people, and I hear stories a lot about how people want a new beginning. People would love to have a new start. I've always kind of been that type of guy uh, for much of my life. I mean, it kind of led me to a couple of different ministries because I was always looking for something new. I would, I would screw up here. Or I'd mess up there. I was like, you know what? I just need a clean slate. I need to start over. And I would get the start over. And once I started over, I would screw up here and I'd mess up there. I'd be like, hey, time out. I need a new start. And then I had to stop and look and see that I was going everywhere I was going. I was taking me with me everywhere I went. And my situations wouldn't change because Brian Lambert wasn't, wasn't changed. But what I see when I look around at people is people are desperate for a new start, a new beginning. They're looking for change in their life. And what you'll see when you look at our community is that our community is growing. Not, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about this community in our church. I'm talking about out there. I'm talking about houses being built. I'm talking about apartment complexes being built. I'm talking about industrial parks being built right behind our church where businesses are moving in. And we're, we're looking at like a 50,000 uh, people increase in our population over the next few years, just right here where we live because of how much the industry is growing in Pasadena, Texas. And when people are changing that aspect of their life and they're moving to a new place, a lot of times they're open to change in other areas of their life. They say, you know what, this is my opportunity for a new start, for a new beginning. And they start looking for people to connect with, for a new group of friends, for people that might share something that will give them some hope of change. See, a lot of times in churches, you see youth that grow up in the church and from 18 years old to about 30, they kind of leave the church. And they get stuck in that rut. Church didn't do something for them that they were looking for back in their younger days. And so they just kind of go out and do their own thing. But then something happens. It's life change. They get married and they start having kids. And they look at their kids and they say, I got to change my life. Why do we say that? Because I don't want that to turn out like this. Right? 
That's why people change. They don't want that to turn out like this. And they say, hey, I've got to see something in my life change. I better get my kids in church. And so they, they look to the church. And so many times the church isn't sensitive to the change that's going on in other people's lives. And we don't connect with people in a way that shows them we care. But God's called us to be sensitive to that. And as we're sensitive to the Spirit and as we worship Him, God will create that sensitivity in our hearts for people whose lives are changing and need to hear the Gospel or at least need someone to care and love them. That's the way Jesus lived His life. Free and sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, to people who are hurting and changing, and also to people who are curious. People who are curious. And the people who are curious are people like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the quintessential seeker. You know what that means? He was the epitome of what a seeker is. He was living life. He thought this was going to do it for him. He thought he was going to build a life on his own. He was going to be rich and wealthy and have a great time. But you know something about Zacchaeus? He was a loaded man. He was very wealthy, but he was lonely. And so he was looking for answers to a lot of questions. He was a curious guy. He was seeking. And, and we're surrounded by people who are seeking. People want to ask the deep question. They just don't know who to ask. They want to know what the meaning of life is. They want to know if someone cares and if someone loves them. But you know what else they want to know? They want to know if God cares. And so often, the only, the only part of God they see is how God is working through His people. And sometimes that's not a very good picture. Other times, it's a great picture and it makes a huge difference. But the question we have to ask ourselves is are we, are we equipped and are we being empowered? Are we ready to answer those questions to people that people have, those who are curious? Well, we can if we'll just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and let God lead and let God equip us and teach us His Word. The second thing that, that God shows us through the life of Jesus about reaching others and about sharing life with others, Jesus was, sen he was sensitive to the Spirit but Jesus was also, he had this uncanny connectability. So the first point is sensitivity. The second one is connectability. And it used to not be a word, but today it's a word. Everybody say connectability. Hey, it's just this. It's the ability to connect. That's awesome right there. It's a new word. We get new words every day. But Jesus had this great sense of connectability. He had this unique way of connecting with people. And he modeled connection. And everything that Jesus did in his life was in the context of building relationships. You see it. You see it in his relationship with God, uh, the Father. You see it in the relationship with his disciples. You see it in his desire to build the church and to bring in what, what he would call the family. It's God's family. It's, it's that we're members of one another. We share life together. Jesus was very relational. He had a heart of relationships and if we're going to share the gospel and the good news and be able to minister to people, we have to do so in the context of relationships. Here's the difference. When I was in Nashville a couple of months ago, I think I told you this, there was this young guy. I was walking to, I was trying to find a Starbucks. I needed a Starbucks. I needed a drink because we were going to be out late and I was going to have to drive two hours back to our cabin. I, I had to have a Starbucks. And so I'm walking to Starbucks like, Two miles from where we were uh, camped out ready to watch the fireworks show. And I'm walking along with one of my daughters. I think it was Hannah. 
It was Kelly or Jacob's not my daughter. But it could have been him. We're walking along. I think it was Jacob, by the way, not my daughter, my son. And there was this other guy. He was walking and he was carrying this cross and he had this little pack and this microphone. And he was saying, you need Jesus and repent from your sins. That's the way he was saying it, by the way. I think he was a little bit embarrassed about what he was doing. But let's just suppose that I'm walking to Starbucks and this guy walks up to me and says, hey, you're a sinner. You need to repent from your sin or you're going to hell. How do you think I would have responded? And I'm a pastor, mind you. I might have lost my religion. I'm, I might have I might have looked like a lost sinner in that time. OK, because that, I mean, I probably would have been offended by the way I was approached. Now, let's just say there's someone that I have a relationship with. Um, since I kissed Lynn's hand last week, I'll just use Lynn as uh, as the example. I know Lynn, been in a relationship with Lynn for like five years. And if Lynn came to me and he says, hey, pastor. I've been watching you and I've noticed a couple of things. And I, I just want to ask if you'll allow me to speak something into your life, if you'll just listen. Hey, you're a sinner and you need to repent. How do you think I would have received it? I probably would have punched him in the face. No, probably not. I probably would have been a little offended. I probably would have sat and listened. But I would have known that because I have a relationship with Lynn and I know that he loves me, I probably would have listened. I might not allow it to sink into my heart at first. Uh, my wife knows this when she, because she's very good at approaching me and talking to me about my issues and she knows that my first response is not oh thank you honey I know you love me I will change my ways it's just not there it probably should be but that's just not my first response but the difference is relationship because had that guy told me I was a sinner and I was going to hell and need to repent because I don't know him I probably wouldn't listen some people do most people don't. But when my wife speaks those words to me, what she also knows is that although my first response may not be nice, she knows I listen and I'll go away and I'll contemplate it. And usually I change. The impact is made because of connectability. Jesus made a huge impact in his ministry because he connected with people. Hey, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house today. I want to hang out with your family. Let's have dinner. And they begin to talk. And listen, just the presence of holiness. Just the presence of holiness and righteousness. And the stories he had heard about this man and seeing that he was sensitive and he was caring and he desired a relationship opened his heart to the truth of who God was and opened his heart to see the sin that he had committed in ripping people off. And it drove him to repent and say, hey, I'm not just going to not do that anymore. I'm going to go back and repay all these people. I don't know how many years he'd been collecting taxes. But I can imagine he had to repay a lot of money. And it wouldn't feel good. He had a lot to lose to change. 
He had a lot to lose. But sometimes it's worth losing everything to change. To be right with God and to be in a relationship with God and to know that He cares for you, know that He loves you. And there are people who are willing to lay down everything for that. And if they're not, God can make them willing. Sometimes we believe that it's our job to make them willing. But it's not. It's just our job to be available, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and to be willing to connect with people. To be willing to connect with people in a way that builds a relationship with them, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. Taking advice and a lesson from Jesus to connect with those who are the least loved and who are the outcasts of society. It's what Jesus did. He loved them. He loved prostitutes and He loved tax collectors and He loved religious leaders. and He connected with them all for the sake of eternity, all for the sake of the good news of the Gospel. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we a barrier to the good news? Or are we boosting people up so they can hear the good news? Because there are so many people who are surrounding Zacchaeus. They were just a barrier. He couldn't see in their life a result of the good news. But praise God, Jesus gave him a clear picture of what that was. There's a third thing that I want you to see. And that is that Jesus was sensitive. Jesus connected with people. So there's sensitivity, there's connectability, and third is authenticity. Jesus authentically loved and cared for those in need. And the question is, is why did Zacchaeus respond so favorably? He was hurting, he was changing, he was curious, he had a lot of questions. But Jesus came along and connected with him in this, in, in this way that just showed that, that Jesus was this real deal. Had a conversation with this guy the other day that said that he's got like five family members that are preachers. His dad, his, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, he's got two brothers. I think he even has a brother-in-law that's a preacher. He said, I'm the black sheep of the family. I'm the only one who's not a preacher. And he said, but you know what's funny? He said, they all come to me with their problems. Say, maybe God called you to be the pastor of pastors. I don't know. But this is what I noticed when I had a conversation with him face-to-face. He didn't trust pastors. He didn't trust them. His life was surrounded by them and he didn't trust them. We'd talk and he'd talk, he'd talk about his pastor and he talked about another pastor and I'm sitting here going, okay, just stop right there. Hello. I told you I was a pastor, right? And he's just sitting here talking about pastors and he just didn't trust them. And I think the reason that people like him don't trust pastors is because pastors aren't authentic, aren't authentic, not authentic. They're not authentic. They're not real. They're not vulnerable. They don't share their issues. They're like up here. This is one thing I don't like about this building is I kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm real high up here. And I don't really ever want you to see me as like on this pedestal. I mean, like he's the pastor. I mean, can you imagine his family? I mean, I got perfect marriage, perfect kids. <laughs> don't ever think that. OK, uh-uh. don't ever believe that. If you believe that, come ask me after service. I'll tell you some stories, all right? We'll take you out to lunch. We'll take your whole afternoon and tell you just how imperfect we are. I'll tell you. My wife doesn't have a voice, so I'll just, I'll tell all the story. I know you like my stories. 
But listen, pastors are just real people. Pastors are just real people who believe they have to be something they're not to reach people. And they start to believe that they're over the people and they're better than the people. That's a great danger. I don't ever want that to happen. That's why I share with you all of my junk in my life. So I want you, so, so you'll just know that I'm, I'm just a real human being. But that's who Jesus was. However, Jesus didn't have sin. People wanted to say he was a sinner. People wanted to say that he broke the laws of the Sabbath. People wanted to say that he was wrong for going and hanging out with sinners. But what Jesus was doing is Jesus was being holy. Jesus' greatest form of worship was to hang out with people who were imperfect, to forgive them of their sin, to be a friend, to remove all fear, and to show them that they could have a life that was abundant and awesome and cool and good like they had never dreamt before. And so Jesus hangs out with this guy named Zacchaeus and he changes his life and it changes his family's life and Zacchaeus was never the same. In fact, he goes and he repays all those he had ripped off. You don't ever hear much about Zacchaeus again, but I think this story just serves as a reminder that Jesus can be a great friend that you can trust. He's trustable because he's authentic. He is the real deal. He is real. He is what he says he is. Years ago, they did some research to find out why people who were not going to church started coming to church, and the discovery was pretty awesome. They found that it wasn't the creativity, it wasn't the presentation, it wasn't the music, it wasn't the sermons, it wasn't the marketing tactics, but the thing that would cause a person who wasn't going to church to come to church and to stick was this. It was the constant encouragement of a trusted friend. And why do we ask you to go out and reach people who are in your circle of life? People who are your friends, people who you go to school with and live on your street and people that are in the same office as you. Why do we ask you to do that? Because you have a better opportunity. You have a better opportunity to reach those people because you know them than I do if I just go up and knock on their door and invite them to church. You have the opportunity to go and say, hey, I genuinely care about you. Would you come to church with me? Now, you might have to lay some groundwork. You have to be intentional about your approach. But just be a trusted friend. Build some credibility. Be authentically you. And God will use you to make a difference in the life of others as you step into their world. As you take on life as they are taking on life. As you show them true care. When you're authentic, when you can be sensitive, and you can connect, and you can relate, when you can live a genuine life rooted in authentic faith, you build a trust factor in your relationships. And you got to be intentional to take them to the next step. To say, hey, there's something about me that I want to share with you that changed my life forever. And you begin to share with them the love of Christ. And how no one can be separated from the love of God. You can share with them that Jesus 
came into this world to seek and to save those who were lost. And the picture of lost is those who are wondering, trying to find their way. But they just can't do it on their own. And Jesus came to show them the way to true life. He came and He demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners and sinful, He died for us. That was true love. And we're called to love like that. We are the body of Christ. And the greatest form of worship is to love God and to love others. It's seeing that our worship will lead us to God and that our worship will also lead us to our neighbor. And my prayer is that we'll be sensitive to the Spirit and sensitive to people's needs. We'll understand that there's a great need to connect with people and people desire connection and relationship. And we'll just be authentic. We'll just be who we are. We'll share our, our good stuff. We'll share our bad stuff. And we'll just trust God to work in the midst of that. To make us who He wants us to be and to reach those that He wants us to reach. Amen? So take out your one card this morning. And as a response, who's a person that you could invite with you next week? Who is someone you could bring to church with you? You think, you know what? They, they need to come. They, they need hope. They need help. They need to see that the body of Christ is a bunch of people who are just messed up and love people. Amen. And so write their name on that. Drop them in the offering box along with your connection card this morning. And on Wednesday night, we're going to meet here at 7 o'clock. We're going to pray. We're going to spend time in, a, in group prayer. And we're going to break out. We're going to pray over all the names that were, were turned in today. Not just so we can have a big crowd. Hey, we're not, in the, we're not in the business to build a big crowd per se. We're in the business to build the kingdom of God. And we're investing our life into other people's lives so that one day the harvest will come in. And we'll see growth. We may never see the kind of growth that we'd like to see in our church size. But one day we'll see that it made a difference in the size of eternity and the size of heaven because we were faithful. So you be faithful in this small thing. I know that God will bless it. Amen? Amen.